the What The Fab podcast, where empowered women empower women through candid conversations, inspiring stories, and tangible tips. I'm your host, Elise Armitage. I'm a digital creator, and I left my nine-to-five job at Google to chase my dreams of being an entrepreneur. I'm so happy to have you here. Let's get into some real talk. Hello, and welcome back to the What the Fab podcast. We have a great episode for you today. This conversation is just like fully charged and powerful, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. It's a conversation with my friend Casey Brown from Streets, Beats, and Eats, and that's spelled Streets, Beats is B-E-A-T-S, so like beats like music, not like beats like what you eat. <laughs> so she's streetsbeatseats.com. She's also streetsbeatseats on Instagram. Before we get into this conversation, I just want to give a quick thank you and reminder. If you haven't um, rated and reviewed the podcast on Apple Podcasts yet, please go ahead and do so. I would really, really appreciate it. And it takes like 30 seconds. It helps grow the podcast. And like I said, I would really appreciate it. So Let's dive into this conversation with Casey. She is real. She is powerful. She is authentic. I do want to let you as a listener know that we talk a lot about her her history and her story with her eating disorder and her recovery from it. So if that is something that is triggering for you, I just want to give you a heads up that we dive into that in this conversation. She is just a powerhouse. I think that you're going to feel her energy through your headphones as well. And let me tell you a little bit about Casey. Casey Brown is a body image and self-love advocate. She is the founder of Streets, Beats, and Eats, a Dallas lifestyle blog, and an online community where women come together to navigate adulthood. It's a safe space online to ask questions, to share stories, to be inspired, and to just never feel alone with what you're going through in life. With that, I am so excited to welcome Casey to the What the Fab podcast. Hi, Casey. Welcome to the What the Fab podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Of course. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to chat today. Yay. I am so excited too. Um, We will get into how you and I know each other a little bit later in the episode, but I thought it would be great if you could just kind of introduce yourself to the audience. Tell us a little bit about you and how you started Streets, Beats, and Eats. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know if anyone remembers this, but I started blogging on Zanga. Oh yeah, we remember. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> Good. I, I feel kind of old saying that sometimes, you know, the jokes about MySpace and all the Gen Zers being like, what is that? That's how I feel. But I lived in Kansas and my name was California Beach Bum with two M's. I was I a 10 year old putting my life on the internet. Do not know why my mom let me do that, but I did it. And now here we are and it's my full-time gig and I'm so thankful for that. But I started blogging as it is today about 10 years ago under the name Life's a Hashtag, and I am just trying to trend. It was about Twitter. I didn't even own an iPhone. And my internship boss, I was studying music marketing at TCU. He's like, you've got to set yourself apart. Everybody and their mother wants to work in the music industry. What makes you so different? What makes you hireable? So I started a blog about entertainment, podcasts, or excuse me, not podcasts, playlists, podcasts. I don't think we're around back then. And like the Miley Cyrus, Robin Thicke performance, the iconic, I did a whole expose piece on my thoughts on the foam finger. And over time, the blog has changed to be more about my life. And it has taken many twists and turns to get there. I created the brand Streets, Beats, and Eats based on the streets I've traveled to become who I am today, the streets of Dallas and street style, beats being my background in music, as well as how music has been a big part of my life and how I've coped through a lot of trauma and my experiences. And then Eats, kind of a two-part, you can't come to Dallas and not talk about the food. We have a phenomenal food scene, but also I have had a really rough relationship with food And I have suffered um, disordered eating, horrible habits, body dysmorphia, and had an eating disorder for quite a while that I'm in recovery from. So it's kind of a little bit of everything all in one fancy name that sounded good. And that is the brand that I have today. I live in Texas with my husband and a dog named Bear. And 
you know, we're just getting by. It feels like with this crazy past couple of years we've had. Yeah, it's been a lot. Um, I love the story and kind of the, the context of how you created your brand and started building, you know, your community. And you have a very strong community. I know a lot of influencers use that term like, oh, my community, but like you have a real community. So how do you think that you were able to build and grow that in such an authentic way? First of all, thank you, because I love using the word community, and I'm glad that it's not just in my head. I feel like this group of mainly women, I want to be inclusive of the he, she's, they's, but it is a primarily women-based audience community that we've built, and it was created as a space to feel safe and to not feel alone. There were so many things growing up that I felt alone in, whether it was my parents' divorce, my thoughts around food, um, Tinder dating apps, feeling like I was being used or something as trivial as buying the wrong dish soap size and thinking the whole world is crumbling around me because I'm a failure because I did something wrong. So these things that I felt lonely, I wanted to shed a light and create dialogues around those. And if it's something that I haven't personally been through, that there's someone else in our community that has probably gone through it. And so it's really been a way to foster connection and authenticity through just being vulnerable and honest. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Um, and so you you mentioned, you know, kind of touching on your history with your eating disorder and being in recovery now. Um, if you're comfortable, I'm I'm sure it would be Um, helpful for a lot of people to hear kind of your story. Like, how did that start? How did you realize it? And then how did you start recovering and healing and and moving past that? Yeah. So my disordered eating habits started when I was five years old. I remember going on diets at a very young age and going on workout regimens to lose weight and look differently as a child. So these thought patterns were ingrained in my brain from a young age and eating disorders ran within our family. There are some of my second cousins that I knew had battled different EDs and girls in the playground would talk about how, oh, well, my older sister uses a toothbrush and that's how she makes it work. And you hear these little tidbits, but everything I tried didn't work. And it was so frustrating as someone who really wanted to change the way they looked in order to be accepted by society. And I say I failed and I'm thankful I did, but I'm also, maybe if I hadn't failed when I was living under the roof of parental guidance, guidance, babysitting families, teachers, maybe they would have caught what was going on and helped me stop sooner. But I officially developed an eating disorder in college. And it was a very distinct memory of the first day it happened for me. I was working at the TCU football athletic office and every halftime we get cookies and I had eaten just a couple too many cookies to feel comfortable. And I go to the bathroom. It's very few girls work in the athletic office, especially on game day. So the bathroom is pretty private. And there I was able to make myself throw up. And that started a path to where I knew eating certain items would help me to purge a meal. I would feel lighter. I started losing weight through um, purging meals. And I was able to keep it hidden from pretty much everyone in my life with excuses and pretending like I was okay. You know, you're out to dinner with friends and you're like, oh, I have to hop on a call. Like, it'll be like 10 or 15 minutes. I've just got to go call them so that way you know, they don't think I'm ignoring them, but really I was going to the bathroom to purge and was able to hide it even from roommates. I took a lot of baths and that air quotes for those of you uh, who can't see, um, I'd run the shower and I'd hide it from my roommates. So I was got really good at protecting kind of my closest relationship at the time, which was my eating disorder. And then I graduated college and kind of that first year I really wanted to stop but I would start to, to leave my eating disorder in the past and I would relapse and I would start and I would relapse. And then I got to the point where my teeth were starting to turn colors and I had some health scares with blood work being all over the place, but I was not honest about what I was going through with anyone. And I realized 
if I didn't find a way to stop and get help, that I was throwing my life away. I was destroying my body. Eating disorders are, yes, terrible for our bodies, but it is a mental health disorder. And I wrote a blog post. This is kind of when my blog turned personal because putting things into words was how I coped. I learned that and I was 10 years old in therapy and my therapist was like, journal, write, put your feelings down. So I wrote about the addiction of an eating disorder, emailed it to my mom, like subject line, hey, like we need to talk and send her that. So I essentially came out about my eating disorder in order to be held accountable for recovering. And I say I'm still in recovery because at the time, one of my biggest regrets is I did not get... I did not ask for help beyond the accountability aspect. So I did not seek therapy counseling. I didn't go into any inpatient, outpatient help. I just band-aid fixed it step by step. And I replaced my eating disorder with over-exercising. I was in a spin class 16 times a week, which even spin instructors who get off the bike don't spin that much. Like there was something wrong, which is another disorder of its own. And I've just been in recovery a long time because of that. And I'm finally now in therapy, really unveiling the reasons why this happened and trying to heal that inner child who went through so much pain because of how she thought she looked and how she felt her body looked. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that um, with us. And you kind of touched on this um, while you were sharing your story. And I've seen you talk about it on Instagram as well, just how the your healing and recovering. It's not something that you do once during one time period in your life, and then you're done. It's like a daily thing. So what does that look like for you? Absolutely. It is a journey, not a destination. And for me, that's waking up every morning and having to make choices to try to propel myself in recovery. If I have negative self-talk creeping in, acknowledging it, trying to flip my narrative. So maybe I'm looking at myself in the mirror one morning, getting dressed and like, Oh, my thighs, they're so big. And you know, the negative self-talk is creeping in. I have to actively and intentionally catch myself doing that and say, no, you have really strong legs, Casey. You are athletic. Those legs help you bend down to pick up your nephews and walk around with them and give them airplane rides. And you know, looking for those positive ways to spin negative self-talk is a big help. And then knowing when to ask for help and what my boundaries are. So being able to lean into things like I can't count calories. If someone told me, I don't think this is a true story. They're like, my doctor, I don't think you're eating enough food. I'm like, cool. So count your calories for the day. Tell me what you're eating. I'm like, nope, can't do that. I cannot track calories because the second I do that, my brain goes into, well, this one almond has six calories and this many macros, and it gets to this very obsessive, dangerous place. So knowing when to set boundaries and being honest with doctors, with friends, with family, whoever that might be to make sure that I don't get triggered and down on a deep path. And then if I do feel triggered, leaning into my support system, I, my husband has been through a lot of my recovery journey with me and he'll check in on me sometimes when I'm really stressed, which is a tendency for me to not eat. And it's, have you had a meal today? I'm like, no, I have not. Thank you for checking in on me. Thank you for being a support system for me. Hold up, I have to tell you about my new What the Fab presets. I finally launched digital product, and let me tell you, it was a lot harder than I expected it to be, but I am so excited that they're live, they're available, you can shop them on the website, you can just go to whatthefab.com slash presets to see them in all their freaking glory. (laughs) These presets are something that I have been refining and tweaking over the years, and after almost a decade of being a travel blogger and lifestyle blogger, I'm finally making them available to you to purchase and to use on your own photos. So whether you are a full-time content creator or this is your side hustle or you just want beautiful aesthetic photos for your feed, I'd love for you to check them out. Presets are honestly a game changer. 
using Lightroom presets has really optimized how I'm able to edit my photos. It makes everything cohesive and beautiful and branded so that when you see one of my pictures on Instagram or Pinterest, you know that it's coming from What the Fab. And you can have that kind of brand cohesiveness too by using the presets and tweaking them for your own skin tone and style. They also have saved me hours upon hours of editing photos. I mean, it used to take me half a day to go through, you know, hundreds of photos from a shoot. Now I can just do it within one or two clicks. And then if I'm using desktop, batch sync it across all of the photos. It's amazing. Like I said, game changer. And these presets are, they're light and airy and will make your photos look beautiful, whether you're shooting on an iPhone or in the raw on DSLR. I've got the mobile pack. I've got the desktop pack. So there's something for everyone. If you want to edit just on the go, the mobile pack is a great option and you can use Lightroom mobile. The app is free. So that's a really great option for someone who's doing this as a side hustle or a beginner. And then if you are building building a brand, um, maybe this is your full-time thing, you'll probably want both the mobile and the desktop versions because then you'll be able to edit on the go on the app, but then also really like sit down in front of your computer, do that batch editing I was talking about, and just have that really cohesive vibe across all of your photos. So I hope you'll check them out. And I'm so excited I have a little gift for you. So you can get one of my mobile presets for free. Just go to whatthefab.com slash free and you can get my World Traveler mobile preset for free and you can use it on the Adobe Lightroom app on your phone. And the World Traveler preset, I've used it on every type of photo imaginable. It's light and airy and beautiful and just makes you look glowy. I've used it on selfies, date night pics, home decor, food, um, my friend's kids, and of course, my jet setting travel pics. So I know that you will love it. Again, go to whatthefab.com slash free to grab that free preset for yourself. Enjoy it. Love it. Use it. I can't wait to see what kinds of photos you create with it and be sure to use hashtag WTFab presets so I can see and share all my stories. All right, let's get back to the episode. That is great. And I think obviously this has come through years of like hard work and reflection and, and therapy, but understanding kind of your, what are like important boundaries for you, um, having a support system, like that, that sounds so key and the negative self-talk is like it's so hard to catch it because it becomes just a part I mean I think most women if not all have some kind of negative self-talk because it's just like we're bombarded with these messages and it just gets incorporated into how we look at ourselves and think about ourselves um I heard I think it was maybe Amy Poehler that gave this advice but she was saying that like whenever she has negative self-talk about her body, she thinks about, well, if I switched bodies with my best friend or my sister, what would I say to her about her body? I would say it's amazing and strong and beautiful and sexy. You know, like I would never say the things because I would genuinely wouldn't think them to my sister that I say to myself about my own body. Like it's wild. It's wild how messed up it gets. Our brains are so ingrained from societal standards and a lot of media it's crazy I mean when you sit there and break it down like you said it's not something we would say to someone else we wouldn't say to a friend to a stranger we're probably not thinking that about anyone we pass on the street so why do we think a thinking about ourselves but b think that someone else is having those thoughts about us yeah and I think just kind of like flipping that narrative helps to give some perspective even though it's still hard and it's still tricky, but like kind of stepping outside of yourself can help with that. Do you have like, what kind of advice would you give your like young you? Um, Because when you were talking about like being a kid on the playground and hearing, you know, other girls talking about like, well, my sister uses a toothbrush, like that gave me just like, like chills. It's just so tragic that that is something that our society has promoted to a point where little girls are having these types of conversations. Um, So what's a a piece of advice that you would give your younger self? This is going to sound a little cliche because I think the meme is going around Instagram right now, but (laughs) your body is the least interesting thing about you. And 
we become so obsessed with it at such a young age because you know the kids on the playground or at the grocery store and the ads we see us weekly the headline is lose 12 pounds in 10 days or the stars they're just like us and it's someone with cellulite at the beach because of course cellulite makes a, a celebrity normal but then on the same page they're talking about how that's a bad beach body i mean our bodies should be and are the least interesting things about us. I love that. What would you tell someone who is struggling with this right now? Maybe they're either in it or they're recovering. Do you have some advice for them? And are there specific resources that that you love that you can share? I think there's a couple different steps I would tell someone to take. One figure out who you're following online. And I don't mean like, oh, as your friend in Mexico on vacations all the time and it makes you a little jealous, but like be intentional with celebrities, with bloggers, with brands. Like what images are you giving yourself access to every day? Unfollow people who are constantly talking about their diets or their body in negative ways follow people like choosing Chelsea, the birds, papaya, and Tiffany, Ima, these women who are creating space to show that all bodies are beautiful, you know, shape, size, color. It doesn't matter. You can find health at any size. You can find beauty at any size. You can find love and worthiness that it, it's not attached to how we look. So, you know, kind of curating that feed I think is a very important step. Then looking at your friend group, are you around people who make offhanded comments that hurt you without it necessarily being intentional? But sometimes we're, we can find ourselves in friend groups where you go out to dinner and they're looking at the calories or they're talking about how they have to order a salad or they worked out extra at you know their morning workout because they knew they were going to eat out. You know They had to earn their food either address those things with your friends and explain why that can be damaging and hurtful to be around. Or at the end of the day, I I lost friends because of this. I, they didn't want to change. And I just said, okay, like this friendship is hurting me. So it's not worth it. And I set a boundary to help my healing process. And then I think it's also important to remember that it's okay to have bad days. There's so much talk about like in the body positivity space, especially, which I personally like to niche myself in body neutrality because of this. But body positivity is like, I love this. This is great. I'm embracing everything and it's wonderful. But that's not the truth for most people. I can accept myself for how I am and I can know that I can love myself even if it looks different than someone else. But that doesn't mean I love every single, I don't want to use the word flaw, but every single thing that I would nitpick about myself. Um, So body neutrality is kind of getting to that point where I know I'm worthy no matter what I look like. I'm worthy no matter if I have cellulite, if I weigh a certain amount, if I have acne, whatever, whatever blank you'd like to fill in there. But leaning into having bad days, but knowing it won't define you forever. This episode is brought to you by Flowdesk. Flowdesk is an incredible email marketing service provider, and they are the platform that I use for my email campaigns for What the Fab. The platform is so intuitive and easy to use. It's very drag and drop. And best of all, it's aesthetic AF. The templates are beautiful, and you can easily add your own brand colors to it to make sure that your emails look and feel like you. I used to use MailChimp back in the day, but after trying Flowdesk out about a year ago, I was in love and I know you will be too. You can give Flowdesk a try for 30 days free. And if you want to keep them, which I know you will, you can use my referral link to lock in a 50% off price at $19 a month and lock that in forever. You can get this offer and try it for free at whatthefab.com slash Flowdesk. And that is spelled F-L-O-D-E-S-K. That's whatthefab.com slash flowdesk. I can't wait to see what stunning emails you create. Okay, let's get back to the episode. Those are, are great pieces of advice. And um, any any resources that you'd like to share with listeners? Um, 
I don't have a lot of specifics off the top of my head, but I love working with the Alliance for Eating Disorders. And there's a group that is about smashing the scales. Um, I will get you the exact resource information for the notes um, because they are great resources. I just don't know the exact way to find them. Perfect. We'll link it in the show notes. And you kind of touched on boundaries um, when you were speaking about just kind of advice for someone who is um, struggling with this. But I wanted to kind of talk about mental health uh, because the two are obviously tied together. And you did something this year that really impressed me. So context for listeners, Casey and I know each other because she was actually one of the founding members of Babes That Wander, our diverse travel blogger group. And so we started Babes That Wander at the beginning of 2020. Obviously, the pandemic happened. We weren't doing much traveling. And then this year, when things started opening back up again, and we were ready to start pitching, like ready to roll, start traveling, um, Casey, you bowed out and you said, you know what, I've got a lot going on right now. You had your wedding that had been rescheduled multiple times, finally happening physically. You were dealing with recovering from, I think it was a knee surgery. Yeah. And then mentally, you mentioned that you were just doing a lot of work with your therapist at that time that was bringing up a lot for you. And you were like, unfortunately, I'm going to have to leave the group. Like, I love you all so much, but this is the best decision for me. And even though I was obviously so bummed that you were leaving, I really respected you for making that decision for yourself. I know it must have been a really hard decision. Like, I know for me, I tend to like pile on too much on my plate if it's something really (laughs) exciting. Like, you know, we had been having this like year of buildup to like launching this group because of the pandemic. And like now it's time to like travel and like do the fun things and like kind of see the fruits of like that labor and setup. And you were just like, no, this is the right decision for me. So can you tell us a little bit about how you were able to make that decision, be confident in that and prioritize yourself and your mental health? Absolutely. Well, first, thank you. I It's something still to this day that it kind of, it tugs at me a little bit of like, oh, if only it would have just aligned a little better and I could have stuck it out because like you said, all the fun stuff's been happening, like watching you guys flourish. It's been great from the sidelines knowing how hard y'all have worked, but there's that part of me who's like, I should be there. I want yeah. to be there hanging out with you guys. <laughs> but at the time, kind of as you mentioned, I started trauma therapy end of last year. And I thought I was just starting therapy because, you know, little things here and there, I wanted to make sure I was being my best self as in the next couple of years, we want to start a family as we go into our marriage. I There's a lot of things from my childhood that I know have affected me that I've not truly tackled as an adult. And I thought they were more surface level things, went into therapy and I was like, this, 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 and this. Once you figure these four things out, I'll be good to go and I'll be a whole new person. <laughs> Start to talk to my therapist and she's like, so you thought all your things were on the left side over here, but did you know you have a whole other column of stuff that we need to discuss that you're probably not giving any attention to. And I was like, Oh no, I'm good. Like that, that wasn't a big deal. I worked through it. He goes, yeah, but I worked through it. You mean you compartmentalize. She's like, you put stuff in a box, you wrapped the box up, you put it down. Then you put another box on top of it, wrap it up, put it down. And then you put all those boxes on a shipping container and sent them away. She goes, we have to like go layer by layer by layer to get into these boxes. And I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. And because it's going to get worse before it gets better. I'm like, oh, okay, cool, great. You know, I'm happy to get better. And then it started. And I was like, oh, this is stuff I've not thought about. You read it in books where, you know, this little girl, there's a, I think it's a Colleen Hoover book. And this girl doesn't remember anything before she was six years old because something traumatic happened to her. So all of her memories are from six and above. And you're like, oh, cool movie, cool book story. And although I remember a lot from my childhood, there are things that I completely blacked out and have no recollection of. And I'll be randomly like sitting at dinner and I'll go like, I'll eat. Oh, this is a true story. It's um, I was cutting a, a steak with a knife and a fork. And all of a sudden I looked at my husband and I go, I used to have to cut my meal, set my fork down, take a drink of water, 
and then eat the bite and do it all over again. That because that was something I was told would help me eat less because I was eating slower because I was drinking enough too enough water. Like so these little things, whether you know it was something about a meal or something that happened within um, the, my home, I was having all these flashbacks. And it was a lot to go through. And we're still, you know, tap tapping away at it, but it was all in the heat of I like you said, I was recovering from knee surgery. I had a wedding that had been postponed three times. And I was having really bad anxiety and kind of a depression roller coaster because of these traumatic memories that were being brought back up to the surface. So by talking to my therapist, she's like, we've got to align on what is worth, like, what is the most important things in your life right now? I was like, well, I have to recover from my knee surgery or I'm going to be stuck on crutches forever. We have a wedding that's a deadline. I have to make money work-wise. And then here are these other things that I do for fun that take my time and energy. And a big part of what helped me be okay taking the step of exiting the group, but also was one of the hardest reasons too, is I'm a people pleaser, which is one of my life traps that we're working through in therapy. And I set really high expectations for others and myself. And I knew I wouldn't be able to live up to my own expectations, which by default would cause issues for the rest of the group. And having people pick up the slack for me was just something that would cause even more anxiety for me and like this turmoil effect of not just, oh, I'm, you know, these two or three things I can't tackle, but oh my gosh, I made someone else tackle them for me. And now they're, they're getting overworked and like that spiral downhill thought process. So that was a very long way to get to that answer, but that is kind of how I got to that reasoning, which I think people can apply that to anything in their life. It's just when you get to a point where you are so overexerted from things that you have to do and you want to do. You've, you have to start prioritizing even when others' feelings are involved, which is tough. Yeah. No, I love I love hearing the background there. Uh, what is your Enneagram type? Do you know? I don't know. I, I have had so many people ask me. And I, you know what? Right now, I'm writing this down. I am taking the Enneagram test. Do you, do you have an idea? Do you think I am something? Well, Yes. I literally like, wrote this down. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, I actually just um, got back from a mastermind retreat last weekend with um, Julie Solomon. I'm part of her oh, mastermind yes, group. Yes, it looked so fun. It was awesome. Uh, but we one of the sessions we did was an Enneagram session. And I learned there that it's actually a no-no to like type other people. But I do have an idea in my head of like what type you may be based on just like your um, kind of you know, having super high expectations for yourself, like achievement and um, also the kind of like people pleaser aspect. So take, I'll send you my favorite test that you can take because there's a lot out there um, for listeners who are interested. Um, it's called Ready, R-H-E-T-I. Um, that one costs $12, but I've just found it to be much more um, accurate than like the free ones online. So I'll put a link in the show notes as well and I'll send it to you, Casey. But I would just be curious to know. I find Enneagram to be like super enlightening when it comes to like your self-reflection and then also just like how you relate to and work with and communicate with others. So like your partners, your friends, your coworkers. Um, but anyways, I was I was just curious based on what you were saying. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about um trauma therapy specifically, is it kind of similar to timeline therapy? Um, because what you were saying about sort of like memories and, and things that you might have like completely, you know, compartmentalized or kind of blacked out sort of reminds me of timeline therapy. And then before you speak a little bit more to that, I just want to note for for listeners that like we all have trauma. Like I think that when people use that word, um, sometimes people can think like, oh, well, that's like, like you have this trauma that you're dealing with. Like, that's great. I don't have trauma. Like we all have trauma. And even if you had, you know, a really wonderful upbringing in childhood, there are still experiences and things that happen that you have um, kind of either compartmentalized or absorbed and that affects how you operate to this day. So you might have um, trauma around 
your money story. Like maybe, you know, something happened, someone said something and, and you internalize that and it completely changes how you interact with and think about money and abundance and your worthiness towards it. Like it doesn't have to be this one like specific traumatic event. It can be a number of different things. Um, so I would just love to hear a little bit more about like how that functions and how that's, how that is different from like, quote, regular therapy. Yeah, absolutely. So to your point, I think for anyone who gets on mental health side of TikTok, maybe it's just me, I don't know, but there's so many gatekeepers about trauma and people get in these fights about, you know, someone will say everybody's experienced some sort of trauma. And then you have someone over here saying, no, only trauma is these really severe experiences that you've had. And I just want to echo what you said of, you know, you could have had trauma that you thought wasn't that big of a deal, but it's affected you and changed the course of your life. And don't let anyone gatekeep you of what is and isn't. I mean, a therapist, you can have that conversation with them. They're a licensed professional, but don't don't let anyone make you feel less than for saying you've gone through traumatic experiences because that, that grinds my gears. That's a little bit of a pet peeve of mine on mental health TikTok right now, as much as I love it, it just grinds my gears. And then also kind of along that same note, um, I didn't realize how much of my trauma created my personality, which can be hard to deal with. And is something that's a big part of my therapy um, work that we're doing is I always, you know, they're like, what, what's your best attribute, Casey? And I'm like, I am driven. I am strong. I am independent. I am a hard worker, you know, all these things. But I was working so hard because I had to, I was put in a place where I had to be a very motherly person and very independent at a young age and to help take care of my sister and brother, to take care of other kids when I was babysitting to make money because I knew long-term I needed money to support myself to get out and just without going too much into home life. But there were things that led me to the paths of being strong, independent, you know, all of these great personality traits. But now I'm sitting here going, I can't slow down. That was my therapy session yesterday. It was about, I had a really bad anxiety filled day on Monday, which I talked to my community about. And I was like, that was the dish soap uh, comment from earlier, but I get, I can have the physical symptoms and I know what's going on, but I can't figure out exactly the cause of it. And I, we were talking about that. She goes, have you ever slowed down? Have you ever taken a break? It's like, no, 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 absolutely not. When I was in fifth grade, I was taking math at the middle school. When I was in high school, I was taking 15 credit hours of craziness at a junior college. You know, I was always one step ahead. I was always hyper involved. I was hustling because I was afraid that if I stopped, my world would crumble. And so looking at childhood Casey and saying, where did this all come from? Why do you feel that you can't slow down? Why do you feel that this hustle is so important? Or why do I have to bend over backwards for a brand to for them to like me when contractually I've done everything right and I've done well, but then they want me to do something at the drop of the hat, which causes anxiety and worry on my end. So looking back at these experiences and trying to unpack where they came from, and we do a lot of talking to my inner child and understanding that Adult Casey can handle a situation one way, um, but that doesn't devalue um, or take away the experience that the inner child had. So that I would say to answer your question now in this really roundabout way, clearly I like to talk, but no, this is great. This is why you're on the podcast. You have interesting (laughs) things to say. And like, you got a couple hours, like I can be here all day, (laughs) girlfriend. Um, But going back and writing journal entries to my younger child, like my inner self, and there was a a particular experience where I did not have the best relationship with my dad growing up. We had lots of reasons that it wasn't a good relationship. And today we do have a good relationship, which I am so great, greatly thankful for. He got married recently and everyone was talking about how there's a lot of their stepkids on that side of the family. And, you know, like Shane is the greatest guy. He's so amazing. And there was, I was so excited. I'm like, I love that he's found these people like 
his a home unit. Like I'm eight hours away from my family just for clarification there. So I'm not saying I'm not still family, but I have a family unit in Texas. They're still in Kansas. And on the surface, adult Casey, I was so over the moon and so happy and couldn't have asked for that to be any better for him. But then there was still that little part of me who's like my inner Casey saying my inner kid, but I didn't have that. I didn't have the family guy, best person around. That wasn't my dad growing up, but now he is that person for other people. And how do you balance the feelings of your present day versus your childhood or your middle school or your high school, whatever point that is in your life with with a relatable experience. But trying to unpack that was really hard for me to understand the difference or um, with eating disorders, you know, like I can hear someone talk about a diet now. And as an adult, I'm like, stop it. You do not need to go on a diet. You are great how you are. Don't talk negative about yourself. Yada, yada. But like, younger Casey is still over here. Like, but that was normal. Like that was, that was life. Like, what do you mean that's bad? And trying to heal that relationship is, has been a big part of my trauma work. And one of the techniques specifically that we have used that's helped me is a color board. And it's essentially like an ombre rainbow and you stare at a color and your therapist talks you through it, asks you some questions, asks you kind of like, what issue, what brings you pain, like whatever topic you're trying to uncover. And you look side to side and up and down at different colors. And based on how you see those colors, it really helps the therapist to know, is there more to dive into here? Are you feeling safe here? Does this scare you? And there would be times I would say the same phrase at different colors. And by the fourth color, I was sobbing. But two colors ago, I was okay, but something just hit differently. And that type of education and I mean, I guess tech, I don't, it's not technology, but like the, the studies that have evolved and to help with trauma therapy, it's really amazing. I'm still going through it, but like just knowing how much it's helped me. And I think if other people are having similar issues that being open with a therapist about these techniques that you want to try or digging into, you know, using the phrase trauma therapy can really open up doors to healing. Wow. That is powerful. Thank you so much for being so open and sharing those kind of personal insights. And, um, for, so what would you, how do you find a trauma therapist? Like I know how to, I have a therapist, you know, through Kaiser. I don't think that she's a trauma therapist, you know, if I wanted to do those Mm -hmm. types of exercises. Um, how do you find someone that is kind of licensed in this uh, particular niche or, or um, type of therapy? I think the first thing to acknowledge with therapy is that it's like a hairdresser. It's not necessarily going to be a good fit just because it worked for your friend or you found them online with good reviews. It doesn't mean it's a good fit for you. So it's okay if you start with a therapist and it's not a good fit and you stop after a session or two or three sessions, whatever that looks like, trying to find the the right fit for you. And I started out, and for me, this was the biggest part of my battle. Like I said earlier, I started therapy when I was 10, 11 years old, when my parents were going through their separation. And then I did it again in college. And then I tried it again as an adult for like a hot second. But taking up that courage and giving yourself the time to find a therapist is the hardest part. I will say that day in and day out, like the hardest part is the preparing to go to therapy. Once you're in, it's great. You have an appointment on the calendar, you show up for it, you do the work, but trying to get yourself to a space to start is really hard. It can be hard. If it's not hard for you, high five, proud of you. But it was so hard for me. And that in itself intimidated me like, oh, maybe I'm not ready to do it because I can't get myself there. But really, I was ready. I was just protecting myself from opening up all of these old wounds. Um, I use the program Sondermind. I have no affiliation with them, but hey, Sondermind, if you're listening, you know, let's chat. This episode is brought to you by Sondermind. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. Little link, link. Um, But I inputted 
in a questionnaire. It was like, these are things that I'm going through. These are things from my past. They ask you preference questions. Like I specifically wanted to talk to a woman. I didn't think I would be comfortable going into complete vulnerability mode, talking to a man. Some people are the opposite. They don't want to talk to the same gender. So they ask you questions like that, if there's anything specific and then what you've gone through. And then they'll present you with therapists that meet those criteria. So I was matched with someone and very thankfully we hit it off right away. Excuse me. And from there, she told me about the training that she was doing in trauma therapy. And at the time she wasn't quite sure if she was going to pull out the big cards or not. We were kind of in that, those early stages. And then she brought it up again. She's like, so I've been going to these sessions and she does a lot with like PTSD with um, like first responders and things like that. So I was like, Oh, I get it. You're trying to tell me that we need to take this next step. I got it. Um, so a lot of therapists do take training, even though it might not be something that they advertise, like I am certified and da 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 da. But as you get going and the right therapist will point you in the direction of someone else if they can't provide you what you need. So Mm -hmm. I had an eating disorder kind of flare up, I guess, if you will. I didn't relapse, but the thoughts became very prevalent. Um, A couple months ago, I got a second opinion for my knee from a surgeon. And he goes, well, if you would just lose 10 to 15 pounds, like you'd be so much better. And And the same sentence that he told me, I can't even walk at a grocery store. Like I need to just completely stay off my leg. So I can't do anything physical, but you want me to lose weight. Okay, cool. So that kind of uh, just irked me. It made me think like, am I not as, am I less than, am I not good enough because of my size? And those thoughts creeped in. And I saw a second doctor who told me, and again, I was a bulimic. He told me to get a lap band surgery, which literally makes you throw up if you eat too much. And I undereat. Like according to my PCP, she's like, you do not eat enough, Casey. So I had back-to-back experiences of male doctors telling me my body was the issue. And I'm like, no, there is something wrong with my knee. And the doctor who told me to get the lap band surgery, he told me I would look like a whole new person and I wouldn't be recognizable. In the same sentence, he told me it was for my own good. It was going to help my knee, but it was all about the visuals. Did he have the context that you have had an eating disorder in the past? Uh huh. The first, I always ask, which pro tip, if you if weight triggers you, you can either A, ask to not be weighed at a doctor's office, or you can get on the scale backwards, ask them to not look at, or not to say it out loud, or for you to not have to look at it. There are ways around you having to see the numbers. For me, I used to starve myself leading up to a doctor's visit because I was trying to get the number as low as it could. And then when it was higher than I wanted it to be, it would spiral for the week and Again, mental health aspect of an eating disorder is very, very real. Um, so I told the nurse, do I have to step on? I have, an, I have a history of an eating disorder. I've kind of flared, flared up a little bit. I'd rather not. She's like, okay, no problem. So then the second woman I saw, she was like an assistant who was getting my prep work. Because a surgeon is a Cowboys surgeon, like the Dallas Cowboys. Like he's known to be great, but... Also, if I was a Dallas Cowboys player, would he have told me to lose weight? Probably not. Probably but, not. Uh, um, so I told her, you know, hey, this is my history. She was so sweet. Puts her hand on my shoulder. She's like, I completely understand. I, I want to make sure we're doing this in the most healthy, respectful way. So then he comes in and I tell him, because he starts to do the whole, well, every five pounds of your body is an extra 10 pounds on the stairs. And I, I stopped him and I was like, I totally understand that. I respect that. I hear you. However, told him my history. And then he proceeded to tell me that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes so, me so angry. Uh, yeah. It really fueled my, I'm not at the point where I'm angry about it. I was sad and like doubting myself there for a while, but now I'm to the point where I'm angry and I want to make sure that doesn't happen again to anyone else because it is not okay. And that's, I guess, to like tie a pretty little bow on my platform here is that's why I love creating content in a space that allows me to speak about all topics and not just I'm sharing fashion or I'm sharing food because this isn't okay. And we need to know to stand up for ourselves. Um, Yes. I completely forgot why I was on that tangent 
about, oh, the, the therapist, she said, um, she recognized that my eating disorder thoughts were kind of taking over the other work we were doing and suggested because eating disorders weren't her specialty. These were some of the resources. If it kept being at the forefront of my mind, maybe I take a break from her to see a specialist and then we pick back up on the old, old things. So the right therapist will know when to continue care or when to help you find care otherwhere elsewhere. Yeah, that's really helpful. Uh, what you were saying about the the commentary from the male doctor actually mm-hmm. kind of leads me into um, a question that I wanted to ask you about. So, I mean, your community, obviously, it's um, your content is really helpful and I'm sure a breath of fresh air for other women who have the same or similar body type as you like you've got really big boobs and you like tell you know show people like hey I am doing a try on haul for like this swimsuit brand and like my side boob is popping out or this swimsuit brand like it it's got great coverage and holds you in and I feel great and sexy in it um you show women how to use boob tape like it's really specific and helpful and like if I do you mind me asking what is your your bra size yeah so this is UK sizing I'm like a 34 JJ 36 J those are sister sizes which is the equivalent of like an I think it's an O in US cup sizes but you, okay. they do it because UK bras are made in larger size than US bras are. Okay. So if I was a 36J and I stumbled across your Instagram page, I would be like, oh, like the lights shining down on it, like from the angels singing above. Because otherwise, you're just trying all these brands, like doing all the shipping and returns, trying to find something that works for you. And like to be able to like go to Casey's page and be like, oh, this is going to look great on me. I'm going to feel comfortable in this. This is going to fit great. Like that is just so like beyond helpful. And the kind of flip side of that, that I have noticed because, you know, you are a public on a public platform, you get a lot of unwanted male attention. And I think that like, all, you know, all women that have are, you know, have a public platform, we've all had to deal with gross male attention. But the way that I, and I'm sure, you know, you only share like a snippet of what you receive. But what I've noticed is that there is this kind of odd, like I have never seen, I get, I get dick pics sometimes, but I have never seen the kind of fetishization that you receive. And I've also noticed that when you stand up for yourself, like in your comments, they then blame you and say things like, oh, well, if you didn't want the attention, you shouldn't have posted those pictures of yourself online. Or like they they say like, oh, it was a compliment. Like they try and gaslight you. Like it is so weird. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience with this? Because it, I've just, I've seen this on your channels and I'm like, what the fuck? It would be my honor to talk about this. <laughs> First, thank you. I for the compliments on my content. I appreciate that um, because I didn't. I didn't know anything about having big boobs until I started trying things myself. And it's hard to find resources that are honest. Yeah. So, thank you. Um. Yes, men. Hmm. Where do we begin with the men on the internet? <laughs> so, fat fetish, fetishization. Fat fetishes. I might have just made up a new word here. It's a very prevalent real world thing. I experienced that on dating apps a lot where it would be, they'd really want to hook up with you, but they never wanted to date you, but they want to text you all the time, but then they, they wouldn't want to see you in person. So there's always this narrative of like the, and I, I want to also recognize that I have a lot of privilege in my body size. I am a 14, 16. So I'm considered a small fat you know, I can fit straight size, I can fit plus size um, woman. So I know I have a lot of privilege still there. But still, as a fat woman, I've been used to getting these comments made in person on dating apps, etc. which is why when I get them now on my platform, I try to share them in a way that is an educational tool for the women in my community. So I also do this with kind of the hateful comments it because it's not just online and I think that's something people forget 
it's, oh, ignore the haters, ignore the trolls, ignore the stranger in their dad's basement. No, but this is all real life. People sadly do say these cruel, dirty things in real life. So that's why I like to share them in a public way with, if this happens to you, here's how it made me feel. It sucks. However, you can do this, this, and this. This is how you stand up for yourself. And I feel like that is a very good way to shine a light for maybe a mother who has a son and hadn't thought about that being something she needed to educate him on or um, someone who has watched a coworker kind of experience that same like awkward sexual comments made about her. And now she knows to stand up for that friend, you know, try to, to leave people room for growth and by exposing things. But then the men, let's talk about how they make me want to strangle the male population. And I love my husband so much, but gosh, it's your fault. It's the blaming culture. It's kind of like that rape mentality of, well, you wore a short skirt. You were asking for it. Like, no, no, no. We do not victim blame here mm-hmm. because I am creating a community of, I want to say we're like 94% women, you know, according to my Instagram analytics, like we are a very, I'm creating content for women. And there are some men that I've had great conversations with that like follow for their wife's um, like this guy always asks me, well, where can I buy X, Y, Z for my wife? Or how can I make my wife feel better? You know? So there are, there are men that are respectful and wonderful in the community, but it's my content is for women. So for you to come here and tell me that my boob tape posts, um, you, you shouldn't wear any, they'd look better swinging me replying. What makes you think that I'm doing this for your approval? Like doing what, creating whatever boob silhouette, whether they push or hang for you or, you know, asking them, so do you need boob tape? Is that why you're in the comments? Like, let's discuss this. And then they get all angry that I'm parading around and showing myself off for the world to see. And so I'm asking for it. And then I, I had one person tell me that I was so ugly that I should accept the compliment that he gave me. And, you know, he gave me this compliment about my body, but really I'm a two out of 10 and he couldn't see how anyone would ever want to be with me. And I'm like, cool. Well, I have a husband. I don't need male attention. I'm doing this for the girls. You know? I don't need or want it. Like go away. <laughs> go away. If, I, if there was a, an application, like a social media tool that I could just applied or any male who tried to follow me, it has to go to a request. Women, you can just follow, but men, and then the whole, well, go private if you don't want the attention. Like you're putting your life on the internet for other people to see. And I'm like, yeah, it's my job. I, I quite frankly, I get paid to do this. I make a lot more money doing this than slaving away at my office job where I wasn't being fulfilled and wasn't helping the world. One of my life goals was to be a role model and to make a difference. I'm doing that here, but I didn't do it when I was behind a desk. So because of that, I have to have a public platform because I need content to reach new people and to be shareable. So again, we're blaming a woman for wanting to be successful and have a career that's her own brand. Whereas if it was a man, would we be saying the same thing to them? It's you know, the whole Taylor Swift, the man music video concept of, mm-hmm. would you say these things about career? Like, oh, well, go private, go do this if it was a man. And then because I don't want your attention... Now I went from being someone you're fetishizing to being someone you're repulsed by. And I'm a, I've been called a dumb bitch. I've been called, you know, all the names in the book because I turn it down. I love tagging my husband though in comments sometimes. Be like, so what are your thoughts on this? Do, do you have an opinion? He wants, he wants a picture of my boobs. Thoughts? <laughs> yes or no. Oh my God. I, that also just makes me so angry. And I like men are, pigs like and here I totally what you're saying like I love my husband obviously when I say that I don't mean that all men are but like when's the last time you saw a woman leave that type of comment on a a man's like Instagram page you don't see that like what is it that makes I mean it's it's the the rape culture like you were saying that makes some men think that that is okay and acceptable to to harass women in that way it's just like it's so mind-blowing to me and it's I mean it's a huge huge problem the other um thing that is really 
bizarre to me is like when you're shooting photos for your blog or your Instagram, like it's always men that want to like jump in your photo or cat call or make weird jokes. It's like, I've never had a woman do that to me. I've had women like hype me up occasionally like, oh, you look so cute, you know, but it like when it comes from men and it's just so strange and like, Uh it's, it's a huge problem. I was filming a jumpsuit, like full pant, tank top, jumpsuit outside yesterday and a man told me to in his car as he drove by to let them teddies hang and I'm like what in what what gives you the audacity like do you think that's turning me on do you think it's gonna am I gonna say yes here you go here's a show like it makes no sense to me yeah Instagram really needs to come out with a feature like you were saying of like having like allowing women female accounts to follow you freely and having to send a request for male accounts to follow you like that would solve so many issues you know they're all obsessed with like oh we're like you know working on these features to help with bullying and blah 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 like why don't you make a useful feature (laughs) like why don't you make something useful Half of their censoring things to get on a, a high horse about body sizes. I mean, TikTok has been in the news for this a ton, but the censorship, like sensitive content that I have been flagged for was I have an eating disorder and I was a fat girl, like a post about, and it's like trigger warning, like I'm discussing an eating disorder, but you know, I talked about how people congratulated me on my weight loss, on my body size, told me how healthy I was, how good I looked. But in reality, I had an eating disorder and like people never thought I had an eating disorder, even when I said I did, because I didn't look like I did, or I didn't look like I had an eating disorder. So that content got flagged as sensitive because I was in a, the word eating disorder popped up. And so they assumed it was a a bad they're like do you need help here are resources which is great but I'm not giving someone tips on how to have an eating disorder I'm acknowledging like it's okay you're safe here these things or if I share I've shared in a swimsuit before and I've been told I was nude it's like what I, I wore this around my nephews I can promise you I'm not nude but they said it was because of the amount of skin that their algorithm picked up more skin that's kind of the way of saying a larger body. Right, exactly. I've seen a lot of people post about this where like someone who is plus size and in a swimsuit, their content gets flagged by the algorithm, by their AI. Um, But somebody that is, you know, a smaller size could be wearing the same swimsuit um, and their content, you know, sails on through. It's like, it's this kind of accidentally built in like fat shaming that the, their AI is producing. Yep, it's wild. (laughs) It's the world we live in. (laughs) Wow. Well, Casey, this conversation, I have enjoyed it so much. I know that listeners are going to enjoy it. You have just shared a lot of really insightful and thought-provoking things. Like I'm I'm definitely taking a lot away from this conversation. And I appreciate you coming on and being so open. Um, Before we hop off, what is one thing that is bringing you joy right now? It could be a book, a podcast, a resource, something that you're doing every day, just something that's bringing you joy. Um, Oh, that's such a fun question to end on. It is bringing me joy to have a new friendship evolving in Dallas. I'm going on friend dates. I've kept myself for so much of the last two years. So it's giving me both creative and personal just feelings of joy. I love that. I was just having a conversation this last weekend at the retreat about like how hard it is to make new friends as an adult, like especially, yeah, especially like if you're an entrepreneur, you don't have like an office culture where you can like, you know, make friends there. Like we're not in college anymore. You don't have like dorm, like roommates or anything. Um, And when we're married, like that's that awkward. Are we couple friends? Are we single friends? Do you have kids or like, (laughs) how do we do this? A hundred percent. Well, Casey, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a great conversation and I just appreciate you and admire you so much. Thank you again for having me. I hope we do it again soon. Wow. How freaking awesome is Casey? I think I got goosebumps like two or three times during our conversation because some of the things that she shared were just so 
powerful. And I just appreciate her for being so open during our conversation and sharing so many personal insights that I'm sure a lot of listeners will be able to either relate to or take something from and apply it in their own personal life. Um, So Casey, thank you again. I just really, really appreciate you. Like I said, you can find Casey at streetsbeatseats.com. That's her blog. And a reminder that Beats is spelled B-E-A-T-S, like music. And then you can also find her on Instagram at Streets Beats Eats as well. So if you enjoyed this episode, I would love it. And I know Casey would too. If you could share the episode, snap a screenshot of it on your phone, share it on your stories and tag both Casey and myself and share what your biggest takeaway was or something that surprised you or maybe made you angry. There were a couple of times where I was really, really angry. Um, And I would just love to hear your thoughts. Tag me. I'm at WTFab and Casey is at Streets Beats Eats. And we can continue the conversation in our DMs. We also mentioned some resources in this episode. I will link to all of them in the show notes. You can find those at whatthefab.com slash Streets Beats Eats. Thank you so much for listening and I will catch you next time. 